Welcome to the Dharma Spring. So, in the last few days, I ended up meeting up with an old koan phrase friend, koan friend phrase, um, which happens again and again, yeah. But, um, and this one shows up from time to time, and it kind of ended up showing up when I thought I was, well, I wasn't sure what I was doing. thought I was on my way to somewhere else, then landed here, and um, I'm going to kind of unpack how I got here <laughs> uh, with this phrase. It's from the Diamond Sutra. It says, Abiding nowhere, let your heart-mind appear. Yeah. Abiding nowhere, let your heart-mind appear. So today's uh, conversation with that phrase just brought to mind how it seems we have a tendency to always, maybe not always, but often be trying to get somewhere with our lives or in our lives, trying to get to a somewhere, yeah? Sometimes it's this steady pursuit, this feverish, ah, ah, this thing that drives us and has us moving on. And sometimes it's just this subtle, what are you doing with your life, you know? Where are you going? You've got to get somewhere, right? And maybe it's the combination of the two, often, likely. It's the combination of the two, one appearing more vividly than the other, yeah? And the reasons for it, I wonder about that too. Sometimes there's a reason of, because once I get to that somewhere, then and you get to fill in the blank of whatever that is for you. you know, whatever will be solved or realized and whatever you'll be able to put down or whatever you'll attain. Yeah. And it could also be just a simple habit of here, this life, these moments just never being enough. Yeah, so we're in a habit of we've got to get somewhere better than here because this is good, but it's not enough. You know, so explore that. You know, is it either one of those for you from time to time? Is it something else? You know, look into that for yourself. Even if you have this, got to get somewhere with your life. So I like the advice: abide nowhere. Really, abiding nowhere might actually be saying, this is your natural state. You are abiding nowhere. So you might as well. And let your heart-mind appear. So, where this journey to that began was with stopping, which is related to the Dharma talk I gave last week at Wet Mountain Sangha down in Pueblo. Um, it was after the Dharma talk stopped that things kept going. But my talk li- literally ended with stopping. I gave three piece of, pieces of advice in regard to awakening. Um, number one, stop looking for it somewhere else. Number two, stop thinking you know what it looks like. And number three, 
Stop thinking you have gotten or can get a hold of it. So when those came about, that stopping, you know, for me it felt like, I can just kind of put that stuff down and sink into my life and get a little respite from that that activity and those pursuits. But that didn't last long because I don't even know, it might have been on the ride home that I started going, well, (laughs) or it started going, well, um, I still think it's valuable, but there's almost something a little too solid and useful and practical about it. So then I found the, a set of corollary advice arising to accompany these. And that's, don't simply think or believe that it's here. Don't reject or discard ideas about it or your own wonderings about it. And don't give up on pursuing it. Yeah? <laughs> So to put them together, (laughs) stop looking for it somewhere else. Don't simply think or believe that it's here. (laughs) Stop thinking you know what it looks like. Don't discard or reject ideas about it or your own wonderings about it, what it looks like. Stop thinking you have gotten or can get a hold of it. Don't give up pursuing it. So stop, 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 don't, don't, don't. <laughs> to me, that has the energy of our precepts with the do not do this, do not do that, all the negative forms as a way of putting things down but opening up a space for us to wonder and then figure out what do we do, yeah? So stop, 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 don't, don't, don't. Both of those formulations land me here but I noticed, you know, feeling it in my body, it's kind of like this. <laughs> Like one part of me is going to sit down, the other one's going forward. And I'm like, what am I doing? What do I do from this place? It's like, go or stay. I can't figure it out. And so it was interesting to notice that natural happening with my body and not doing anything about it. Just, okay, let me be in that place of staying and going. Yeah, Landing and not landing. Stopping without stopping. Yeah. As I was sitting in meditation, I was... Starting to do that a little bit, playing with it, but not too wildly. (laughs) Flipping all over and causing a distraction. But it also called to mind the the royal ease posture, which is the one like this. And, you know, in meditation we have a foot, this front foot kind of sitting on the cushion, sitting on the floor. But the idea is you're ready to stand or you're, you know, you're coming back. And there are some statues that actually have this foot raised, which would... Stress out your muscles if you did it all during your meditation. <laughs> but this foot raised, ready to go, but you can't tell with that raised foot, is the person just coming to sit or standing up? And that's what comes to mind, that in-between place. Landing but not landing. Coming and going. And again, that stopping without stopping. And it was that phrase that... Uh, that stopping without stopping that was hanging out with me once the two different pieces of, pieces of advice joined together. It called to mind a story where I heard something about that stopping without stopping imparted. And so I'm going to share that story with you, kind of a 
an overview of it, and it's a colorful, dynamic, uh, maybe morbidly entertaining story. <laughs> and it's really the long arcs of it, the broad strokes of the things happening within it that I value more so than getting too nitty-gritty about the story. But the story is what it is, so I'll, I'll share it. And it starts around 2,500 years ago with um, a Brahmin family in India and a couple who had a newborn son. And as was the practice in those days and continued beyond those days, they consulted an astrologer for before naming the child. What is this child's fate? What's the child's destiny? So they could provide a name that will help the child realize its destiny. And the stories from the astrologer said, your child has the potential to cause great violence and even be a criminal. And this frightened them. Yeah. So to counteract that, they named their child Ahimsaka, which means no harming or harmless trying to put this spell upon his life so that he would not cause harm, even though that was what the astrology said was in his makeup. So they raised him well, taught him you know, all the ethical goodness and to be respectful and to be everything they needed to do. And he became a young man, and at that time, the custom was to go off to this certain area of India and study with a teacher in spiritual practices. And uh, as a Brahmin, that was his birthright and then see what you could achieve in that realm. So he went and joined into a, a school of practitioners, was diligent, obedient, respectful, and really took the teachings to heart, so much so that he kind of shone above the rest. The teacher noticed, wow, there's something about this guy. He's really got something. But all the other students became jealous and spiteful. and They didn't want to see him succeed. They just didn't like him because of his doing so well. So they poisoned the teacher's mind against him by telling the teacher, he's doing this so he can take over your spot. He's trying to get rid of you and you know, tell him all sorts of stories like that. So the teacher, not realizing they were just hoping he'd banish them, you know, he's taking this to heart like it was real. Maybe he consulted astrologers as well. <laughs> but he took something in to say, oh, he's really, he really is going to do me harm. So he did craft a way to get rid of him, but like a kind of, not just get out of here, I'm not going to teach you. He wanted to really have him go away. So he called him to his room one day and said, you have completed your training with me, except for one piece, the final piece that I'll need before I'll transfer everything to you, is that you have to pay a fee. You have to give a tribute to me for these teachings. And what that tribute is, is I need the pinky finger from the right hand of 1,000 people. So when you come back here with 1,000 pinky fingers from the right hand, then your training will be complete and I'll pass on everything to you. So Ahimsaka was devastated by this. He left and didn't know what to do. And this was his teacher giving him this advice. He didn't see through it, but he also knew that he was, you know, accomplished and had things that he could offer. So he began to wonder, well, so how can I do this if my teacher is asking it of me? He began to go to the graveyards and the charnel grounds and found, found the bodies 
the pieces that he could, you know, with the uh, cremation happening, there may be few and far between, but he did get a, a collection of those pinky fingers from already deceased people. But that supply soon ran out, and he, then he'd have to wait for somebody else to die, and it was taking too long, so then he decided, I'm going to have to do something more about this. So he began to attack people, and even eventually murder people, to cut off their fingers and collect them. So then this story began to spread through the villages of this bandit, this murderous bandit, who would attack you, kill you, and take your finger. Not only that, in order to keep the fingers together, he took a string and strung them up all along and wore it around his neck. So his name became Angulimala, which means finger bead, finger necklace. It's this, you know, these are mala beads. It was like a mala made of fingers, Angulimala. So watch out for Angulimala. He's going to be out there to get you. Because of that, people were wary. He was still able to do what he was doing to collect the fingers, but it was a little more slow going. People started to band together and travel in groups, making it harder for him to get anybody singled out and and accomplish this. But eventually he got to 999 pinky fingers. And he just knew that uh, it wouldn't be too long before he had the last one, and he could go back to his teacher and present him all these fingers. And who knows if this was now any more about getting that attainment and that conferring of the teachings, or was it, I'm going to show you what I did? Maybe he thought he was even more powerful because he took on this task and accomplished it. Maybe he saw through what the teacher was doing, but we don't really know. It could have been various things at that point, what was in his mind. So he's hanging out in the forest near where the Buddha has gathered, and the stories of Angulimala reached the Buddha. And they say, he's, he's here, he's nearby, so we all have to be careful. And so hearing this, the Buddha decided he would go out for a walk through the forest alone. <laughs> hmm. So there he was, making his way down that road, and Angulimala saw him through the distance and burst out of the trees and began running after him down the road as fast as he could. But he couldn't catch up with the Buddha, even though the Buddha was just walking at a leisurely pace. Just walking along. So he tried faster and everything he could do, but he just couldn't close the distance. And the Buddha never picked up his pace, never turned around, just kept walking. Slowly and leisurely. So finally, Angulimala said, Stop, Brahmin, stop! The Buddha kept walking and just looked over his shoulder and said, I have stopped. Yeah, it's you who needs to stop if you look up this story online it takes a turn here of being more along the lines of ethics and morality where he says I've stopped being violent I've stopped killing but you haven't and that's why you can't catch me put down those ways but I decided I'm going to koanize it <laughs> is that in that moment when the Buddha said, I have stopped, it's you who needs to stop, Angulimala realized something, had an awakening, and he stopped there in the road. Then the Buddha turned to face him and knew that there had been a turning that happened within Angulimala, so they met, and Angulimala took up the way of 
the Buddha, the way of the practice, took up precepts. Uh, practice with others. And the life that he had led before didn't go away. It caught up with him. In his own mind, his own anguish, the things he went through were coming. They haunted his dreams and you know, plagued him. And people weren't easy to forgive. When they could, they slandered him with words and even physically abused him. Yet, he tolerated it. He accepted it. He developed the ability to, to be in that place of receiving what comes from those actions. And he continued on with his practice. doesn't really say, I don't know what happened to his mala, his finger mala, but we still know him today as Angulimala. So he didn't change his name. He kept that name maybe as a, a sign of that fully landing in his life. That kind of stopping of stopping here in the midst of it. Yeah. So that non-stopping stopping or stopping without stopping. And as I see it, there was one current in his life that I don't know if he ever became aware of, but it was kind of running from who he was. That's kind of something his parents set him out on with uh, his name and having consulted the astrologer. And it put it in the direction of don't be who you are. Go somewhere else. We'll train you and we'll condition you to be a good person and never fulfill that. So we can expand that to look at you know, our past decades or well, I think we're all decades here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the life that we... The life that we wake up to at some point and want to be rid of. <laughs> we want to do something so we don't have to be that person anymore. We don't have to own those qualities, own those, yeah. So that's one of the currents in his life. Again, how much it was present in his consciousness, I don't know. But it was there. Then the other current was trying to get somewhere with this life. In his case, being raised with how to be proper and obedient and respectful. What do I want to do with this? It's not enough to just have this. How, where, how can I get more? So he went to that school and pursued something with the idea of becoming something. Yeah. So we do that as well, right? We kind of show up with what we've got and realize, what do we want to do with this life of ours? Where do we want to go? What, where do we want to arrive? What's that something we need? Mm -hmm. And if, we, if those are the only two options we give ourselves, we're in a constant running away from our lives. Either running away from what it was, or running away by trying to run toward what it's meant to be. Right? So those dynamics are happening. So the stopping is to land here in your life as it is, right? Kind of stopping and letting the wave of everything else go whoosh and whoosh in, yeah? But it also makes us available when we stop here, not in a sheltered place, but in an open place where we're able to receive our life, those things that call us forward, the something, you know, we can be there to see it and meet it and follow it. 
And it, to me, it's a shift, you know, that forward movement is a shift from trying to get somewhere with our lives because it means something, that blank we're trying to fill in, versus realizing our lives are always going somewhere. They're always on the move. So why not meet that, that going, partner with it, and co-create the going as we go and discover, well, what is that somewhere? What is that somewhere that I'm going to? Either in this moment to the next moment or down the road, a week, a year. So it's not to give up going anywhere, but it's not to be so focused on getting somewhere that we're not here in that place of stopping but not stopping. Yeah. Um, this relates to the dynamic that um, of the Buddha, actually, where a term the Buddha used to refer to himself that we know through our sutras, uh, Tathagata. And this came up in last week's talk too, so it's one of the carryovers, but it's still alive and I think worthwhile to visit. So Tathagata, when you look up the definition, it says it has two meanings. It's either the one who has thus come or the one who has thus gone. Huh? <laughs> it has an or in the middle. The one thus come, or the one thus gone. And for me, I just changed the or to and. The one who is thus coming and thus going. Um, the thus in there speaks to thusness, the suchness of things, right? So it's like the one showing up as the suchness of things and the suchness of things is they're always coming and they're always going. Yeah? They're never stopping. They're never landing. Perpetually arriving and departing. And so to stop in that deep sense is to provide a space to hold all of those comings and goings and show up as that at the same time that you're partnering with them. Following them along in their downward arcs and their upward arcs, their risings and fallings. Yeah? So that's, you know, when the Buddha says, I have stopped while he's still walking. To me, he's speaking to that. It's like, I'm not really doing anything here. I'm just in the suchness of things, suchness of life. I have stopped, and that stopping is dynamic and alive and ever-flowing. So I get to bring in these. It's nice. I, sometimes just these phrases come to mind. And I enjoy them for what they mean in that moment. And then years later, <laughs> they connect with something. Like, oh, that's nice. So you might have heard me said before, uh, become grounded in groundlessness. Yeah. That seems to be what this practice is about. And the, the story of tonight is about is, your life is a groundless place. It's always shifting and changing, never staying still. And to try to find a solid piece of ground is to go against that dynamic quality of living. So, become grounded in the groundlessness. Let the shifting sands and the, the tectonic plates of your life, you know, let that be where you're grounded. And it's always moving. Learn to dance and flow with it. And to fall on your face with it. And to get back up with it. Yeah. <laughs>
then that phrase came out differently one time, which I appreciate. Because this implies you and your life get grounded in that groundlessness. But at the same time, it's to realize, oh, good, now I have, I get to do the and thing instead of the or thing with this. To realize that you yourself are grounded groundlessness. You're always shifting and changing too. Solid and real, shifting and changing. So you're grounded groundlessness and groundless groundedness. <laughs> so it is who you are already, this, yeah? So essentially you are, you are nowhere, abiding nowhere, all the time. And then abiding nowhere, being who and what you are, being with life as it is, let your heart-mind appear. Heart-mind, for those who have and haven't heard it before, you know, in the traditions from which we come, there's no separation between the two. So the one character in Chinese that says heart also says mind. So we say heart-mind. And for me, combining those just means being. Abiding nowhere, let being appear. Your being and the being around you, let it appear. Yeah. In that stopping without stopping. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.